In 2007, astronomers discovered an unexpected burst of intense radio energy coming from the deep recesses of the universe. Energy so intense that in just a few milliseconds, these bursts put out millions of times more energy than our sun in a single month. Astronomers have termed these mysterious light signals fast radio bursts, or FRBs. And though there are theories about them, their origin remains shrouded in mystery. Some astronomers have linked them to gamma-ray bursts, or GRBs, another blast of light that is even more powerful but just as mysterious as fast radio bursts. In November of 2013, the discovery of a handful of gamma-ray bursts in the constellation of Hercules, the strongman, led to the discovery of the largest known structure in our universe, the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall, a filament of an innumerable host of galaxies bound together in a striking string-like matrix stretching for some 10 billion light-years in length. This massive structure completely defies Albert Einstein's principle of cosmic homogeneity, the idea that the universe is the same in all directions. The Great Wall is literally too big to be explained by Big Bang cosmology. Fast radio bursts, gamma-ray bursts, and the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall these are only a sampling of an innumerable host of unsolved mysteries facing the sciences of the heavens today. For most of human history, these wonders have remained veiled from the eyes of the living. Why do we get to see them? And most importantly, what do they mean? The Bible gives us some remarkable insight. In Psalm 89, David proclaims, quote, Loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens thou wilt establish thy faithfulness. End quote. David goes on to write that, quote, And the heavens will praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord, a God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him? End quote. In Psalm 50, verse 6, we read that, quote, He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people, and the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. And in Psalm 19, we see that, quote, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge, end quote. The heavens thus testify of God's awesome power, his faithfulness, his loving kindness, his wonders, his righteousness, and his glory.
The unimaginable power of fast radio bursts, gamma ray bursts, and the mind-boggling size of the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall of Galaxies are but trifles when compared to the God of the heavens and the earth who spoke it all into existence. So come, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these wonders, the one who leads forth all the starry host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. This is a special two-part episode of Good Heavens, where Wayne and I will explore some of the greatest cosmic mysteries of our time and how we see them all as pointers to the glory of God in Christ. We hope these episodes will be an encouragement to you, that they may help you in, quote, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, end quote. Science has not yet even begun to fathom, quote, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways, end quote. As the preacher of Ecclesiastes proclaims, quote, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end, end quote. Amen. Well, Wayne, does anybody really know what time it is? Uh, well, it's time for another podcast. How about that one? <laughs> uh, yes, I was quoting uh, the old Chicago song. Does anyone really know what time it is? <laughs> yes. And the next line was, does anyone really care? <laughs> but we care because it's time for a podcast. And we do care. And uh, the reason I bring that up is because uh, we take time for granted. And really, what is time? It's one of the greatest mysteries of our existence. What is time? Mm. Uh, but we're not going to talk about time. We have a lot of other interesting things to talk about, about the universe, right? Yes, we do. Right. Some of the greatest cosmic mysteries that are facing the sciences of the heavens today. Uh, we can't get into all of them, but Wayne, there are so many things out there that we don't know hardly anything about. And uh, and and so we're going to talk about that. And Dan, as a as a t former teacher, I know that uh, teachers try to uh, make science interesting to kids, right? When you're teaching, and mm -hmm. which is a challenge sometimes. You're teaching kids what we know about science, and you don't have much time in a science class to talk about the things we don't know, mm. the things that p scientists haven't figured out yet. Mm. And uh, 
it's the things we don't know and the mysteries that are really the the interesting stuff in science, really, I think. Yes, yes. It's like uh, you're old enough to remember back in the day uh, with the uh, Donald Rumsfeld, the known unknowns. Oh, yes. And unknown unknowns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about some uh, known unknowns today or some unknown unknowns, but we can't talk about unknown unknowns because we don't know about them. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to talk about the known unknowns uh some of the great cosmic mysteries that uh you and I basically have a handle on and we are going to give you interesting information for you to pursue this is just wetting your appetite and uh we are going to sort of get you interested and thinking about these things and then you can go out and pursue them yourselves and and, and see them and enjoy them for yourself so Wayne we know there are known unknowns out in the cosmos and um but uh we just before we get into these wonderful mysteries uh just a uh, a word about where we've been uh we've been kind of frozen in the cosmos haven't we yes <laughs> in texas we've had some really cold weather and it's thrown texans for a loop yeah uh, my power was out for a little more than one full day and I went to a friend's house. Uh, so I, I didn't have to really go through the cold cause they didn't lose power. Fortunately. Well, I was out of, uh, I had no water for seven days, no plumbing and no power for two over two days, hmm. straight two days. So, uh, it was cold. It was crazy. And, uh, but we got through it. Thank you, Jesus, for getting us through the ice and the frost. Um, and it was kind of nice. A couple of nights, I really enjoyed it. I have a wood stove. So I was able to stay warm with the wood stove. And I enjoyed reading by candlelight and flashlight in my wood stove without any other electronics going on. It was very nice. Um, but it was very cold. I think Wednesday or Tuesday morning of last week, it was negative 10 without a wind chill here in Poolville, Texas. So, um, Pretty remarkable, but uh, we apologize for uh, for not having these episodes. You've been busy. Uh, then we got snow, and I've been busy. And uh, so now we're back. And uh, so that solves the mystery of where we've been, right? We just right. solved the mystery. Where Where's Wayne and Dan been? Well, here we are, and here's what happened. And so now we are going to jump into, we're going to jump right into uh, some some cosmic mysteries. Now, Wayne, let's kick it off with this uh this left-handed, right-handed business. Galaxies, it seems, have a particular orientation about how they spin depending on where they are. Is this right? Really? Is, did You sent me this article. It was kind of wild. I couldn't believe it. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, it's, this is fascinating. It's kind of an un, uncertain thing at this point, I think. But uh, we were talking in our previous programs about uh, amino acids forming proteins and how that relates to life. And that living things always use the left-handed amino acids, right? And so there's this um, incredible handedness in the living in living things. Well, so scientists are looking at other things in the uh, in astronomy that have a preference of, of one way over the other. So, and, and in physics and astronomy, Dan, they use different terminology. They use they call it a parity violation. <laughs> and parity violation means it's not 50-50 when it should be. Uh, it somehow is is more more biased toward one way than the other. And 
that kind of rubs uh, physicists the wrong way. They they want to find the cause of that if or if they can, you know. So so there's somebody who looked into the spin of galaxies, and now this is spiral galaxies, and you know there's a very definite spin to them, and it wrap, causes the spiral arms to wrap up, right? Well, so they looked at a database from the uh, Sloan Digital Sky Survey and photos of galaxies that you could tell uh, which way they were spinning. And they looked at different parts of the sky, but they kept it within a, a limited distance from us, okay? So they wanted to limit this to known galaxies that were not at extreme distance from us, and we had good photos and good data to identify whether they were, which way they were spinning. If we didn't have a good photo, you couldn't use it, or if you know it was too faint, you couldn't use it, and that sort of thing. And uh, so it came out that there was a slight preference of left-handed spin over right-handed spin for spiral galaxies. But uh, I think they need to look at it more and see if others can confirm this. You know, when someone finds something new and interesting like this, there's a need for multiple people to look into it and see if they can confirm it. Hmm. But uh, I think it's so fascinating. And there's even uh, the author of the paper uh, had this interesting comment, Dan, I'd like to read a little couple sentences here yeah this is in the beginning of his paper this technical paper from uh, physics letters b uh this is published in 2011 he said on the molecular scale there is a large predominance of left-handed amino acids over right-handed ones in organisms the origin of which is still not well understood that's what we talked about in our last podcast, right? And then it says, it is reasonable to ask if nature exhibits such an asymmetry on the largest scales. Mm. And uh, so he goes on from there into the research. And it's just got graphs and a kind of a statistical analysis behind this. And it's he shows galaxies on this special plot that makes it look like one side of it is pretty much red and the other blue which is showing which way there's they tend to spin more hmm. but uh hmm. it's fascinating it's, it's something interesting to watch and see what they come up with next so at the very least it's suggestive that instead of finding random spin patterns we seem to see that this research seems to suggest that there is a kind of definitive spin, depending on where you look, of galaxies where you would expect to find sort of random spin, right? That there's a structure to the spin, that there's these are spinning in a certain direction and a certain distance from from, from us. Now, the whether we would call it left-handed or right-handed depends on our perspective. Yes, of course. If you have something that's spinning... Like, say, imagine a merry-go-round. If you were looking at it from above, it it would be spinning one way. If you could look at the merry-go-round from below it, it would look like it's turning the other way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so 
But as we look out into space at galaxies, it seems like we should see just as many going one way if we look in one direction of the sky as as we do in the other direction if we look in a different direction. So the very suggestion of the pattern is the the suggestion of the pattern is is remarkable. We shouldn't even be thinking that we would see this kind of pattern. Yeah. Uh, it should be random, right? Yeah. And uh, so yeah. that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Now, um, uh, it, it 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 does remind me, and and you know this research, as you say, it it, it needs to be investigated more. And and so many of these other things we're going to be talking about are are things that astronomers and cosmologists are currently investigating and will continue to investigate and want to continue to investigate. Um, and it reminds me, I wanted to, to read a couple of scriptures that, that this brings to mind, and then I'll talk about one of my mysteries that I've enjoyed. Uh, this is, comes from Psalm 89, and I read this in church this morning. Um, it's from David, and he says, uh, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever to all generations. I will make known thy faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens thou wilt establish thy faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Verse 5, And the heavens will praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord, who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared, greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. O God, the o Lord God of hosts, who is like thee, O mighty Lord. And verse 11, uh, it, it continues, The heavens are thine, and the earth is also thine, the world and all it contains, thou hast founded them. And uh, so I read that this morning. And then this morning in my Bible study, I, I teach, a, um, I have a Bible class of the high schoolers that I, I teach at church. And I re was reading from Numbers. And uh, Numbers chapter 14, of course, this comes in the midst of bad news when the people of Israel are rebelling. They, you know, Joshua and Caleb went in and spied out the land and they're like, no, we can do it. God is with us. And the rest of the people are like, no, we're not going to fight giants. They're going to kill us. And the land is going to swallow us. And let's go back to Egypt. And uh, But then Moses pleads for them. Moses intercedes and prays to God that he doesn't destroy Israel. And then uh, so Moses prays and intercedes like Christ. And then, and then, uh, then in verse 20 of Numbers 14, the Lord hears Moses' prayer. He says, so the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. And then in verse 21, but indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. Now, what does this have to do with cosmic mysteries? Well, the Bible says that man has seen the glory of God. I mean, you didn't have to be marching through the wilderness to see it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and they show forth his, what we just read, his faithfulness. In Psalm 50, verse 6, the Bible says the heavens declare God's righteousness. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare God's glory and power. 
and wisdom, day to day pours forth speech, and night unto day to day pours forth speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. So the heavens are declaring God's righteousness, His glory, His faithfulness, and so all of these things that we're talking about, even if we only know them in part, are really attributes of the wonders of the power and the wisdom and the magnitude and the unsearchable wisdom and knowledge of God. And so the greater the mystery, I th- I think, the greater wonder it brings to me about who God is, who made it all. Yeah, so uh, it's in God's faithfulness is displayed in the heavens and his wonders. And we talk about those wonders a lot in our program, Dan, uh, but just the regular order and beauty in the heavens it shows God's faith. Absolutely. So one of my, uh, I'll start off with a small mystery that I think it, it, it's, it, it may be sort of obscure, and I'm sure many of our listeners probably have never heard about it. Um, it and, and thank you for correcting me on, on how to pronounce it, because I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. Technetium. Not technetium. I used to call it. Technetium. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but you you corrected me on that. Thank you for that. A technetium is an element on the periodic table of elements at uh, number forty three. In other words, the number, the atomic number, how many protons that it has in its nucleus. And so forty three is pretty heavy. It's a heavy element. Um, and. What's really interesting about technetium is where they found it in the universe. They found it resting in the photosphere of red giant stars. Now, this is really weird. You say, so what? What is, what, what is, why is that a mystery, Dan? Well, technetium, being a heavy element... The only current theory on the table for how heavy elements like technetium are produced, um, iron. Now, technetium has 17 more protons. Let's see, where is iron on the Iron is 20. What is iron, Wayne, in the, on the number chart? Iron is 26? Uh, it is 26. Yes. 26. All right, I got that right. So iron is 26. So technetium has 17 more protons in its nucleus than iron does. So this is heavier than iron. Yeah. And what the only thing on the table that that is known to produce the heavier elements in the universe are supernovae. In other words, the pressure and the temperatures are so much that that's the only kind of energy that can fuse these heavier elements, so it is believed. So how is it that a heavy element is existing in the photosphere of a star? In other words, the, the implication is that the star produced the technetium and it waddled its way up through the star into the photosphere from the center on worked its way up into the photosphere. Okay, that seems, that doesn't, so number one, the star didn't explode, but there it is in the star's atmosphere. Number two, here's the astonishing thing. Technetium only has a half-life of like two million years if you're, as they date it presently, as they presently understand it. So that means in two million years, uh, that's that's half of its life. So, but a, but a red giant star is supposed to be billions of years old. So how in the world does an element that only has a two million year half life be get produced in the in the middle of a star and make it out into the photosphere of the star, which would take billions of years? It couldn't even achieve that in its, in the in the element's lifetime. And there's no core of a star presently that they believe that can produce this without supernovae. So what is technetium 
doing in the atmosphere of a star that hasn't exploded. I mean, it's a little scientific, it's a little weird, but, but, but there they are, the technetium in the photosphere of red giant stars with only a half-life of two million years. So that, that means that, that that's weird. It just it shouldn't be there. I mean, as you said, it's a violation. Remember, we were talking about that. It's a violation. Here's another violation, if you will, of, um, of what's going on. So, so red giant stars uh, having technetium. That's an anomaly. Yeah, it's a, we don't a big bang cosmology can't explain that. Uh so Dan they would have to say that it probably either it got there from another star that went supernova within the 2 million years or by some unknown maybe radioactive decay of something else. Um but uh how do you have a young, relatively young element in an old star? That's right. That's right. That's a good question. Yeah, and that's the uh, that's the assumption, and we talked about this, I think, in our episode uh, um, when we talked about star formation. Um, blue giant stars are supposed to be really young because of how intense and how much fuel they burn. They're like the SUVs of the universe. They they don't get good gas mileage, so they couldn't possibly have been around for for billions of years. And so they they deem these stars young stars, and um, they're not supposed to blow up. They're not supposed. They're not on the candidate list of stars about to go supernova. And um, one of them, a blue giant star, took the world by surprise in 1987. We now call it SN 1987A. SN stands for supernova, a nondescript white blue-white star, supposedly a young star, blew up. That's the first time that ever... Nobody was anticipating that to happen. Red giant stars are supposed to... These big, fat, bloated ones on the end of their lifespan are supposed to be the ones that go supernova, like Betelgeuse and maybe Arcturus or Antares or something. Um, But this little star blew up and changed our whole understanding of what kind of stars blow up. So the question is, are blue giant stars... Really young stars, or what's going on that would have caused such a young star to go supernova? Another mystery. Fabulous. Right. So how come it didn't go through the normal process like most stars? Right. Right. And how come it blew up when when it seemed like it was in a relatively young star? Exactly. I don't know. There's lots of things uh, that that are that scientists haven't totally figured out. We kind of have an understanding of what is the norm. And sometimes when something unusual happens, it's very baffling for a while. <laughs> right, right. And while we're on the topic of stars, and then we'll go to another mystery that you have that I can't wait to hear about. Um, I know we mentioned this briefly in another episode, but we can. I just want to drop it in here. These things called Population 3 stars, and you know what those are. These are the hydrogen-helium stars that would have been gigantic and abundant in the early universe before there were the heavy elements. So according to long evolutionary development of our cosmos, um, there was only hydrogen and helium and a few other trace elements that were on the light side in the early universe. And it wasn't until these hydrogen-helium stars went supernova and fused the hydrogen-helium into heavier elements that we got all these other stars that we see today. So essentially, for stars to begin in a current stellar model of how stars grow, 
you need these population three stars to account for how these stars that we have today grow because they can't think of any other way in which these heavier elements would have come about. So you have this trove of of hydrogen helium stars and then they all pretty much go supernova in order to make the heavy elements. This is sort of the narrative in a simplistic form. But the amazing thing is, Wayne, no one has ever seen a single trace of a population three star. Not even a supernova remnant, no hydrogen helium, pure hydrogen helium supernovae. Um, There is absolutely no evidence of population three stars ever existing Mm -hmm. except in theory. And uh, I would say even though they're not believed to, it's not believed that they would still exist, there should still be some evidence from various things we see about stars as a function of distance. So as you look out more and more distant stars, there should be less and less metals as you right. go out to the edge of the universe, of the known universe. And that's not the that's not the way what they see. Right. They see stars with heavy metallicity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. That's a mystery, and we 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 and if if you really want to hear some really good stuff, we have a whole episode on star formation. We talked about that and uh, the difficulties in how stars, the the mysteries in how stars form, even. But Wayne, you have something fantastic uh, that you wanted to mention. We've been sharing emails and articles and things. You have a really cool mystery that I want to hear more about. Uh, about Mond, <laughs> is that what you're thinking of? Yes. The uh, Mond idea. Mm-hmm. Mond, James Mond. Well, <laughs> it stands for uh, Modified Newtonian Dynamic. Uh, anyway, okay. This we've talked about dark. We've talked about dark matter, Dan, here and there in our programs, and so galaxies have a spin that's uh, not really what was expected for years, and. Um, so where as you go out from the center of the galaxy, the the mo- velocity of the star spinning around or motion and its motion around the center of the galaxy, that motion tends to speed up as it go out. And dark matter was an idea that was put forward to explain that. So the idea is that there's there's a form of matter that's um, causing a gravitational effect um force of gravity that but we can't detect the matter it's some unusual kind of matter that we can't identify and detect it so far but it must be there because of the effect it has on the galaxies well there's for a number of years this goes back to a long time ago actually there was uh some scientists who put forward this idea of mond that uh it's a different way of looking at the um, the mechanics of motion of something like a galaxy and other things. You know, Dan, uh, Newton's laws were very good when you have uh, one particle moving around another particle or you have something like a, an object in, a, in the sky that's falling and certain predictable things that are relatively simple problems, it's very good with. But when you, as you add more and more objects or more and more complicated parts to things and motions, Newtonian dynamics becomes very um, 
unwieldy and complicated. It can, becomes very difficult to do. And so physicists have come up with various approaches to analyzing motion problems, especially when you have many objects in the problem. Okay, So a galaxy is not one object. It's many stars, right? And they're spread out, especially like a spiral galaxy. You have a big bulge of stars in the center, and then the other stars are in these, usually in these spiral arms, and some of the galaxies are in other shapes. But uh, so MOND is a different way of analyzing that, the gravity of that. And so MOND tries to account for matter that is around the galaxy, not just in the galaxy. And it's so, I'm not, so some some have been opposed to this because it's thought of as going against Newtonian um, physics, but I'm not sure if it really goes against Newtonian physics, but it's a different way of approaching the problem. So anyway, what they found is there is uh, somebody decided to test the MOND idea uh, about some of the uh, galaxy phenomenon and motion of, gal- of stars in a galaxy. And they found something that seems to confirm the Mond theory. It, it, it happens just like Mond predicted. And this was a big surprise. Mm. Uh, they did this for 150 galaxies. So they say here in an article I found, uh, this is on phys.org, which is a physics uh, website. It says, Mon made a bold prediction. The internal motions of an object in the cosmos should not only depend on the mass of the object itself, like a galaxy itself, but also the gravitational pull from all other masses in the universe, called the external field effect. So, it's it's a, an attempt to account for kind of the the mass of everything else. You, you know, you have the galaxy. What else is there around the galaxy, and what effect does it have? Mm. And uh, uh, so, it's a different way of approaching the problem, and it seemed to confirm the Mond idea a lot. And this is not what's scientists expected at all wow so if mond is true uh we don't need to be talking about dark matter really (laughs) well yeah but uh i don't think people are ready to jump to that conclusion yet but the guy uh, who who did this work and the article was talking about he said i came from the same place as those in dark matter community he said it hurts to think that we could be so wrong. <laughs> uh, there's a guy who uh, named Milgram, his last, I don't remember his first name now, uh, who, who 30 years ago mm. wrote about Mond. And uh, so just now today they're testing this. And so who knows, you know, uh, there's, there's times when you just need to start over in yeah. analyzing a problem. And uh, science becomes very, very ingrown, you might say, where you know, only certain ideas are allowed. And I, I, I just love to see when they're really looking at the problem 
in a completely different way. Because even if you, you look at the problem another way, and e even if that turns out to be wrong, it can still give you some insight. It's not just successes that, that gives you insight. It's also the things that turn out to be wrong can give you insight too. Right. But the fascinating thing is that, as you said at the beginning of, of this, that whether it's Mond or dark matter, we still have this intrinsic phenomenon of galaxies spinning where, and it was Vera Rubin in the 60s who came up with this idea uh, that she built upon other the work of others. Vera Rubin, she's mm -hmm. since passed away. But when you look at the outer edge of a galaxy and its motion by looking at the redshift of stars that are moving away from us. And you're just, you, can, you can analyze the speed of these things. It is like if I set, if you, if you say you have a motorcycle tire on its side, you turn the motorcycle on, right, and uh, the tire's on its side. Now, before you spin the tire, let's put some M&Ms around the rim of the tire. Now, Wayne, if you turn on the motorcycle and you get the tire spinning, what's going to happen to those M&Ms? They're going to fly off. They're going to fly off. And basically, that is a rather crude portrait of what astounded astronomers when they looked at the speed and the motion of the stars and the edge of galaxies. They should be flying off into space. Galaxies should be losing matter because the spin is so rapid that they should be throwing stars off. And they weren't. The stars were being held in place and that glue so so if we spun then we get back to the motorcycle tower we turn the motorcycle tire on and the m&ms stick what are we going to think something is holding the m&ms to the tire obviously we don't know maybe what it maybe it's glue right you know maybe they're magnets or something maybe they're not really m&ms but that's how the dark matter mond idea that's sort of the the nativity of where this idea that there's other there's there's something weird about gravity and mass going on that we we're not quite sure we have a full handle on yet Good Heavens is a podcast examining and appreciating the wonders of the cosmos from a biblical perspective, designed for education and wholesome entertainment for the whole family. From the most distant galaxies to the strangest stars in the universe, Wayne and Dan cover a wide variety of cosmological and astronomical topics as they point to the glory of God in Christ. Thanks for listening to another episode of Good Heavens a production of Watchman Fellowship Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. For more information about Good Heavens or other topics and podcasts related to apologetics, world religions, and cults, visit watchman.org today. For Good Heavens, I'm Dave Mitchell.